chapter 1. So open your Bibles for this morning's sermon. Gospel of Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have extras in the back. And if you're joining us online and need a Bible, get in touch with the church. We'd be happy to drop one off. And we'd love to have anyone at home come and join us for worship. Amen. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 39 through 56. We'll see that Mary goes to visit her cousin, much older cousin, Elizabeth. We get to hear from Elizabeth, then we hear Mary's magnificent song. Beginning in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. This is God's holy word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. May the Lord bless the reading, hearing, believing, and obeying of his word this day and always. Amen. Amen. Well, we have here at the beginning of the gospel about Jesus, we really haven't seen Jesus yet, per se. We have a couple of women and a couple of pregnancies, a couple of very unique pregnancies, an elderly woman and a teenager virgin. We have prophecies about the babies, the messenger and the promised one. And now we have these two poetic songs, as it were. Elizabeth's is more of a spontaneous song and Mary's seems to be a much more reflective deeper song in fact Mary's song has a name they call it in Latin the Magnificat it's one of four great songs around the nativity that Luke puts into his gospel and that term Magnificat comes from the Latin for that opening phrase my soul magnifies the Lord and at this juncture in the history of the gospel Not only do we see that these women are expecting and we hear the prophecies about their babies, but we hear 
Mary recounting her joy in the Lord, her praise of the Lord. As R.C. Tannehill said, the Magnificat is like an aria in opera. The action almost stops so that the situation may be savored more deeply by the soloist. I don't know about operas, but I know every once in a while, everybody stands still and somebody sings for a while. We have that with Mary. We have her inspired reflections and praise. And that's the the bigger segment of our passage. But we'll start with Elizabeth's words. Because in this recorded history, what Luke has done here by carefully and scientifically and accurately assembling the truths about Jesus, his birth, life, death, and resurrection, he records history for us, but he also reveals to us our creator God. And he helps us to know things about God and how we might be right with God. We'll get to the good news of the gospel explicitly later on, but here in these two women's voices, we learn something of the power and the the grace of God, the might and the mercy of God. Oh, we need to know those things afresh today in the grind of modern life. We need to know that our God indeed reigns. His arm is not short. He has power to save and answer prayer. He does whatsoever He wills. His power, but we also see here His great mercy reaching to this lowly Hebrew maiden who's now going to carry the Son of God to birth in the world. We see God's mercy available to us as well. That's what we have before us. Let's take a look. First, we're going to uh, dwell on uh, the opening paragraph and the interaction of these two women under the title of Our Blessed Fellowship. We could say Blessed Fellowship. We see Mary and Elizabeth having some time together. And that's really a picture of Christian fellowship, as we'll see. We first see that there is an urgency to seeking out this fellowship. There's an urgency for quality time with another believer. There's two or three things going on here. There's the urgency and there's the fellowship, but there's a quality to it. Let's look in the scripture. It opens up in verse 39, telling us that in these days after Mary heard she's going to have a baby, even though she's a virgin. She says, okay, I believe you, but how's that going to work? I'm a virgin. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will carry this child. You'll give him the name Jesus. And the angel offered Mary a sign that nothing is impossible with God to encourage her faith. It says, you know what? Your cousin Elizabeth, white haired, bowed over. Maybe she had osteoporosis already. She was old. She was beyond childbearing years. She is with child. So our passage opens up and Mary, with haste, goes to Elizabeth's house. As if there's an urgency to confirm what the angel has said. And if it's true about Elizabeth, his words about me, this quickening that I've perceived is true. Mary was newly pregnant with Jesus, the Son of God, by the Holy Spirit. Yet she got up, she traveled approximately 70 miles by foot as a Hebrew young lady in her teens 
uh, from where she lived in Nazareth down towards Jerusalem, the tribe of Judah, that region. We don't know the name of the village, but up in the Judean hills, we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived out of town up in the hills. And that's where Mary goes, presumably by herself. Why? Because there was this sense, I need to see what God has done in my cousin's life, in the life of this other believer. She went despite the hardships of traveling that far. That would be many days of travel in the ancient world by foot. There would also be the fear of of, of being found out that she was pregnant, although it was very early on and she didn't show yet. But how would her relatives receive her if they learned of it? But she arrives and has this fellowship with Elizabeth. There's greetings. Zachariah doesn't have a greeting yet because he's mute. Remember, he doubted the word of the angel. So he's mute until John the Baptist is born. That's coming up next week, so stay tuned. But there's greetings and fellowship and joy together at their arrival. Fellowship with believers and joy together in the Lord and in the Lord's presence, literally. Elizabeth is clearly excited as Mary walks in. She had been expecting for six months and she had been adjusting to that reality even at her old age as her uh, belly grew with a child and she knew it would be a boy and they even had the name already picked out, assigned to them. And, well, Zachariah knew and he hopefully communicated it. And as they pondered what God is doing and that this would be the messenger of the Lord and the Lord would be coming after on the heels of this messenger, her mind had been going over those things for six months. That's half a year. And in walks Mary. And, oh, there's some reaction. And being filled with the Spirit, she has this understanding. And what does Elizabeth say? Verse 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's the future John the Baptist, six months old in the womb, he, he leaped in her womb. He moved. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessings out of the mouth of Elizabeth. There's going to be one more blessing in just a moment. Uh, But there's this joy. Why is there this reaction? Because of what God has done and the presence of the Lord. Let's read further. Verse 43, this is from Elizabeth. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Good thing we know that she's filled with the Holy Spirit, because otherwise, how would she know that Mary's pregnant? I don't think that was the first thing out of her mouth. I think it was revealed to her by the Holy Spirit, and she knows that Mary is carrying the Messiah. And she knows that because she says, the mother of my Lord. She doesn't just say, oh, my cousin, how nice of you to visit because you're young and I'm old and young people don't often visit old people anymore. And no, no, it's not that. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, recognizes the presence of the Lord. And as the baby reacts, she herself is reacting. She is, is trembling with joy and asks, how, how can I be so blessed? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. And she explains what happened to Mary in case she had missed it. Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
Now, why did the baby leap for joy? Because John the Baptist, who was also filled with the Holy Spirit, even before his birth, acknowledged the presence of his Lord, Jesus Christ, in utero. That's what's happening here. The declaration of my Lord was a messianic, faith-driven declaration by Elizabeth and little John the Baptist, who couldn't talk yet that we know of in the amniotic fluid, just started praising and greeting the Lord himself. It was kind of interesting that the, the scholarly and normally staid Philip Ryken in his sermon said, John the Baptist was the only child ever to use the womb for a pulpit. You know, he was gesticulating and all the like. They were having joy at the presence of of Jesus, joy at the, the working of God in their midst. I don't know if we think of our gathering for fellowship in the same way, but you know, I heard somewhere, maybe you can help me, that where two or three are gathered, the Lord Jesus is present with us. He is here now. And when we gather for fellowship, we should have this hunger and a sense of urgency about the value of this fellowship. And our joy should be multiplied in one another's presence. Even if we don't have anything grand to report. We're persevering in the faith. We're keeping the faith in a broken and hostile world. That's amazing. We need to pursue that joy together. Hey, and before we move on, let's make sure to point out because... Uh, the cause of life in the womb is, is really front and center in our culture, and it's receiving a very hostile reception by the public. The, the, the maddening rush to advance abortion, not just make it legal, but to push it and push it and push it. Let's see how the Bible tells us God's view of things. That life in the womb is human life. And Jesus, who was only conceived maybe... A week or two ago, however long it took Mary to travel, less than a month old, he is not physically viable as that little, what is the zygote, the embryo, all those stages, even before viability, he is who he is, and John the Baptist worships him. Life begins at conception. The Bible's clear about that. You don't have to take a breath or be viable to be a human being. In your mother's womb. This is the worldview of the Bible, my friends. And that life needs to be treated with honor and dignity and sanctity. Well, there's this fellowship going on. There's joy. But there's one more blessing of Elizabeth. And it comes right at the end of the passage. Filled with the Holy Spirit, she's dispensing blessings. And she says in verse 38. Excuse me, that was Mary. Down in verse uh, 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What's she talking about? What's she talking about there? Elizabeth is blessing Mary and, and refers to her as she who believed something. What did she believe? That there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is the one who believed God's word. That's kind of the essence, right? Well, what did... What was spoken to Mary that she believed? A couple of things. Most recently that Elizabeth, senior citizen of the year, Elizabeth, was expecting a baby. 
Okay. That's right. Nothing's impossible with God. I hear your word. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to go see that woman, my cousin. Mary believed that, but that's not all Mary believed. Mary embodies, as it were, belief of God's word. And we'll see that when she starts singing and speaking God's word. She believed not only about Elizabeth, but she believed for herself. She believed for her people, the word of God. There is a blessing when you believe God's word. You don't have to have someone actually say you are blessed for believing. We know it to be true. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I too will love you. That's in John's gospel. We have to understand that we hear God's word, we need to believe it, and this pleases our Father in heaven. This brings us blessings when we walk in the light of God's word. Remember the previous lesson of Zechariah, who hears the angel speaking in the temple of the Lord, but has that doubt, that hesitation. His question is, how do I know I can believe you? Well, it is God's word. That should be enough, right? He didn't get it right away. We are given the privilege of seeing Mary's belief in the word and a life lived in its light. May we believe God's word and be blessed. Well, moving from this into the next section, it's Mary's song of praise. And we want to take that now and break it into two parts. Some see three parts to Mary's song. Some see two uh, we know it's, it's the first of several songs that Luke records. That tells us something about Luke. He's very much attuned to uh, the praises of God's people. We'll hear Zechariah's song next week, and we'll hear the angel's song at the birth of Jesus. We'll hear other words of praise that Luke has assembled for us. Because I think there's something that he's communicating about joy in the Lord and worship But here, as we study Mary's song, we're reminded that this isn't unique in the scriptures for a woman to sing, for a woman to speak with great theological insight. Here, we are reminded of 1 Samuel chapter 2. Who was that? 1 Samuel 2? Quick Bible quiz. Hannah, thank you. Hannah, she had been childless. And another woman in her household kept teasing her. And she would weep and weep and pray and pray. And the Lord heard her prayer. And so when you get to chapter 2 of Samuel, and you know it's going to be Samuel that's born, right? She praises God for the great things he has done. Part of Hannah's prayer said this, uh, verses 10 and 11. Uh, It describes it. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, Lord, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give ear to give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. That's what she prayed. And then she would praise God when that came true. And Hannah's not alone. How about Mary's namesake? Right? You always ask somebody, oh, who you named after? And I keep lobbying for my kids. If you have a boy, David is still a very viable name. Who was Mary named after? Well, in the Jewish uh, lineage among the Jewish people, it was a common name because of Miriam back in the book of Exodus. Do you remember Miriam? And in chapter 15 of Exodus, we have Miriam's song of God's great deliverance over his enemies. 
So there's this pattern that's not just uh, the singers of Israel or the psalmist David, but all God's people are capable of praising God in song and with scriptural maturity or with uh, theological maturity and insight. Mary does that here. And she does so with great humility. Remember, she starts talking of herself uh, in her humble estate. That doesn't mean just she was poor. That means uh, I'm really nobody. So that's her humility on display. And she sings this song. And as far as I can tell, I think there are two great themes to this song. And they're interwoven throughout all these verses. The first is the theme of God's power, God's might. And then also the theme of God's mercy, his loving kindness. Let's first see this theme of God's might. It comes right at the beginning as Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Here it comes, verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. The first great theme she picks up in her praise as she draws on so many Old Testament scriptures. Over a dozen Old Testament scriptures have flavored her song. She points out the might and power of God. Well, in what way? What are the great things he has done? Well, we see several aspects of God's might. Look at verse 48. As she was describing what God had done and then labels it as part of his might, she says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. There we see the might of God, the creator to know his creation. His eyes are able to perceive not only what transpires on the surface of the earth, but under the earth and above the earth. His eyes are able to see within the hearts of humans. And he knows the thoughts of a man even before they're on his tongue. This is the eye of God, as it were. Our God sees. And wasn't that the prayer of Hannah? O Lord of hosts, Lord Almighty, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant. She's praying for God in his power as God to see and engage. And that's not the only prayer along those lines. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, chapter 16, you'll see that the handmaiden of of Sarah named Hagar was cast out. She was mistreated. When she became pregnant and she prayed in Genesis 16, verse 13, she called on the name of the Lord Jehovah, who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. The power of God in his paying attention to his creation, his knowing Not only all the names of the stars he has put in their places, but he knows the names of every living human being, past, present, and future. He knows all the hairs on your head. He sees and he knows. He is powerful and omniscient. That's the might that Mary is aware of. 
Even in her chamber, when the angel appeared to her in her lowly estate, she was aware that this is God's ability, his might, and his power. We really need to know that these days. We see headlines and we have information so much at our disposal. We're, we're drowning in information, my friends, and most of it is not helpful. This is helpful. To know that our God is a God who sees, who knows. And in his might, he's fully aware of what transpires. He knows your hearts. He knows your selfishness. He knows those sins that you will coddle and not confront. And he knows how to help. He knows how to lead and guide you into his word. So we notice first our mighty God and his power to see. We see secondly his power to save. His power to save. Where is that in this song? Well, it's clearly there at the very beginning. Verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior God. He's at work in the plan of redemption. He got it started. It's underway. I praise him for his power to save. Verse 49, that expression, great things, it covers a lot. It particularly covers the incarnation. How are you going to redeem Adam's race unless the one who comes is like a second Adam who perfectly keeps God's law and then lays down his sinless, righteous life for others? In Adam we die. In Christ, the second Adam, shall all be made alive. The incarnation was required Verse 54 uses this phrase. He has helped his servant Israel. Is that kind of vague? Well, you could call it vague, but I would call it comprehensive. When we're in trouble, when when the need is most great and the the problem is, is upon us, perhaps a car accident or a fall or a cut or or some other crisis upon you, you don't typically say, Well, I need financial backing and insurance documentation. You don't list the details of what you need. What do you say? What do you ask for? I'll give you a hint. Four letters. H-E-L-P. Help! Help! Our God in his might is a God who helps. He's available and has that power at our disposal. And he says here, he has helped his servant Israel. Let me pause and point out, as Mary speaks, so much of it is in the past tense. This isn't just her looking backward. This is her looking at the here and now and the future. And it's as if she's speaking with a prophetic voice of how Jesus will help his people through his life, death, and resurrection. That's called the prophetic perfect. You you remember it when Isaiah spoke, unto us a son is given. It speaks as something that's done, but it's yet future-oriented. It's the prophetic voice. And in the timelessness of who God is and what he has done, he is a savior God, and it's as good as done as they speak. God's power to save, as well as God's power to see. Hebrews 2 verse 16, by the way, makes it clear That it is not angels God helps, but the offspring of Abraham. And you are an offspring of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. But there's another reference to power here and to might. 
It's very clear, and perhaps it's the biggest of the three in this particular song, because they lived in such a dark time, and the, and the state of the Jewish religion was in such disarray. The believers under the thumb of Roman occupation, and the, the temple was barely functioning, and God's people were so discouraged. This particular part of Mary's song was so invigorating to her and to Elizabeth, I'm sure. She speaks of God's power to scatter his enemies. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The power of God to deal with his enemies, to bring about great reversals to the injustices of the day. Some of this is yet future, as Mary speaks. Jesus did some, but in the end, he will do all the overturning of God's enemies. He will put every injustice correct. I just want to point out something here for our study and reflection. It says... Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. A-R-M. Boys and girls, you know what an arm is, right? How many? You got your arm and it it has muscles and we do things with our arm. God does not have an arm literally. He is spirit. He does not have a body. But it is a human way of speaking of God and his power. And the Bible even talks about his finger, his hand, and his arm. Why why does the Bible give us so many uh, figures of speech about God's strength? Because we can understand that, what you can do with one finger. I got to care for my grandson, William Brody Bissett, yesterday while his mom and dad were at a wedding. And just with one little finger, you can tickle and change his attitude. Just the touch of a finger. Well, with the touch of God's finger, what could God do? The scriptures mention the finger of God. I'd picked a few references, all from Exodus, if you want to jot down the references. The finger of God is mentioned in Exodus 8, as the plagues were unfolding, as God was punishing Pharaoh in Egypt for not obeying his word. You're not going to let him go? Well, have this. And at one point, he sent them these tiny, bothersome insects, the gnats. And they covered the land. And it was a real plague. It was a huge bother. The scriptures say, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. No surprise there. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Exodus 15 and many other places talks about the hand of God. Exodus 15, you know, the great song of praise. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Mary knew that scripture. I think she cites that scripture here. She was well versed in the stories of the Bible, the history of the Bible, and she knew her God. 
God, I know what you're able to do. And I praise you that your finger and your hand are strong to save and to do these things. And your arm is mighty, Exodus 6, 6. As the Lord was commissioning Moses, he gave the general prophecy. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord Jehovah. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Finger, hand, and arm. The power of God. To do what? Not just to see and to save, but to smack down wickedness and his enemies. God is not just some Santa Claus in heaven, some grandfather with treats in his pockets for everyone. He loves his people, but he is mighty in justice. And his wrath can only be appeased in one way. And we'll talk about that through his son, Jesus. The psalmist says in Psalm 98, verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Did Mary know that psalm too? as she saw what God had done for her and for Elizabeth, his word coming true. Nothing is impossible for this God, our God, Jehovah God. Mary knew the power of God and she sang about it. And God is not just to be thought about as a strong man to be feared, but he is holy. And Mary mentions his holiness The quality of his power is always just, always right, always pure. He's not a a, a dictator or a tyrant who stays in power simply because of his might. But he is a God with power and character. Mary knows that character even as she spoke. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. What he does is always right. Well, that could make us nervous if God is always holy and always powerful. Us sinners, we're in, we're in big trouble. Woe am I for a man of unclean lips, said Isaiah. Mary also sings her second great theme here is the mercy of God. Let's look at that. The mercy of God. One of the Puritans said God has two hands, a right hand of mercy and a left hand of justice. He does both things well. And with his might, he is also merciful. God's mercy is towards first those who fear him. Verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This mighty God, this strong and awe-inspiring God is tender and will relate to you, not as you deserve, but with mercy if you fear him, if you acknowledge him. Who can expect mercy from the Lord? No one can demand it. No one can say, you owe me. 
You can't do that. But God's mercy flows to the humble, to those who acknowledge God's greatness. James tells us God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. His mercy, his steadfast love is for those who acknowledge him and who he is. This is a picture of faith. Those who fear and hold God in awe. You are holy. You will punish sin. I'm a sinner. I just plead for your mercy. And how can God show mercy to sinful people? Because he has also put forward the Savior. The cross is where God's justice and his mercy meet. God demands an accounting for sin. The Bible says we can look it up. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You will shed your blood for eternity for your sins. Unless you have a Savior who shed his blood for your sin. At the cross, Christ died in our place. The wrath of God was satisfied. God can look on him and love me. God's mercy is unleashed because of the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me ask, do you know that good news and do you now fear and respect God? Do you have faith in God as a result? Today could be the day for you to believe the words of Jesus. No one comes to the Father but by me, by my life, by my death, by my resurrection. Through faith in me, you can have a relationship with God. You can look to him as Father and receive his mercy and grace. Because God is merciful to help his people. Isn't that what comes out clearly here? Verse 54, he helps his servant Israel. Verse 55, he helps and remembers Abraham and his offspring forever. Well, I'm not Jewish. I guess I'm not going to get help. No, as we cited last week at the end of the book of Galatians, when Paul is undoing Jewish misunderstandings of the gospel. He clearly writes in Galatians 3, verse 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring according to the promise. And if you're Abraham's offspring, God is going to show you his mercy and his help. And his salvation. Through faith in Jesus Christ. We get in on the promises of God. The grand story of Bible redemption. It's for God's people. Well who are God's people? Those who are in Christ. And notice God's mercy. Here. In verse 54 and 55. It makes a point. Mary's song makes a point to say. God is remembering He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke. God keeps his promises. God in his mercy makes promises and God in his mercy keeps promises. He does that out of love and affection for his people. My friends, we have the further promises of Jesus. Do you know what Jesus promised? Can you lay hold of some of those promises? Mary could. I'm sure she composed this on her 
journey and those star-filled nights as she was on her way to see Elizabeth, pondering how God works, looking at the stars, remembering God's promise to Abraham. Abraham, your descendants will be as the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky. That sounded impossible to Abraham and Sarah. Mary, who knows that nothing is impossible, she's remembering the promises. And she composes this great song of praise. Back to you. What promises do you know if you were to write a psalm of praise? If you were to give God glory now in prayer aloud, what scriptures would you draw on? How about Jesus' promise? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. Or as Jesus prayed in John 17, no one can snatch us out of his hand. Or Jesus' promise to his disciples, I'm going away, I will send the Holy Spirit, but I will come again and take you to be where I am. Isn't that one of the greatest promises of all? Jesus said, I've got you. No one's taking you. I'm coming back for you. He, Jesus, the Son of God, will remember and keep his promises. No one, nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. Mary had yet to meet Jesus. The word of God she believed was what we call the Old Testament. It's still God's word. And we have more than that with the New Testament and Mary's own contribution. God's mercy in keeping his promises. God's might and God's mercy, those two great themes. Let me wrap up with a few exhortations, some particulars that we need to be working on and remembering as we go forward with this word, as we meditate upon it, what we should be doing about it. Number one, just in my random order. Number one, rejoice in the Lord, not simply in his blessings. Rejoice in the Lord, not simply in his blessings. I think that's what uh, Mary's doing doing here in her song she doesn't say I've got a baby I've got a baby boy she's not singing just about her new status the gift that God has given her of motherhood that doesn't come up in her song she is rejoicing in who God is who's doing this great thing she knows that what happens in her life is from God Sometimes when we're listing our praises at the prayer meetings, we're trying to think, okay, what good thing happened to me? What gift have I received? Because we limit our joy to the good stuff. I guess what I want to say is be like Mary and praise God for who he is. Rejoice in the Lord, not just in his gifts. That means we we have to get to know him. We have to know what's important to him. Dealing with his enemies is important to him. And keeping his word is important to him. Don't just count your blessings. Praise your Savior. The old church father Ambrose said, Everyone should aspire to the spirit of Mary so that he may rejoice in the Lord. And going further, Phil Riken said, Mary and Elizabeth, they rejoiced over his conception, but we also rejoice for his crucifixion, 
and his resurrection. This is why, he says, Luke wrote his gospel so that we would know for sure that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised again to give us eternal life. (coughs) Second closing word. Here we go. Let us seek and value the fellowship of believers. If we've heard God's word and we've seen what's going on here between Mary and Elizabeth, one of the takeaways is that we too would value fellowship with believers. We'd come to one another, and especially those who might be homebound, say, what's God doing in your life? This is what he's doing in my life. Let's rejoice in the Lord together. Let's have fellowship. J.C. Ryle of Liverpool actually goes so far as to say, we should always regard communion one with another, with other believers, as an eminent means of grace. That's a high bar, but it's that potent and significant. And notice too, with with Mary and Elizabeth, their fellowship, need I point this out? It was granny and teenager, the senior citizen and the young virgin. Age was not a barrier. We know kids sometimes say, will there be any kids my age there? I'm just saying, we have a great example in the Bible that age is no barrier to Christian fellowship. And churches have to be careful about having age segregation for everything. We just see a beautiful picture of fellowship here. Well, final word is this. Like Mary, we should know the works and the words of God. The works and the words of the Lord so that we might praise him, that we might know him. Not just know about him, but know him. We need to know our Bible history, to know how he has acted in the past, to know what he esteems and values and what he doesn't like. And as we get to know him, we walk before him uprightly and praise him. Again, J.C. Ryle says here, let us strive every year we live To become more deeply acquainted with scripture, let us study it, search it, dig into it, meditate on it until it dwells richly within us. Why did God choose the humble, obscure young woman, young virgin Mary? She had no great ancestry. She had no great wealth or position or visibility in the community. She was a godly woman who was steeped in the word of God and she knew her father in heaven so well. The Lord blessed her and we today still call her blessed. May we too know the works and the word of the Lord and make him known. Let's pray. Oh, our father in heaven, we do thank you for this wonderful gospel of Luke as it continues to open and set the stage for the arrival of Jesus. May we see these women, these believers as models of praise and joy and understanding of your might and your mercy. Lord, we are so blessed by knowing these things about you. Make us blessings to others in our fellowship and beyond. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.